I said, you know, I'd like to start a clinic and seeing people with chronic pain and with mind-body conditions and see what I can learn and see if I can help people. And I started seeing people and I started talking to them and listening to them. And the stories that emerged were incredible amazing stories and every patient since then for the past 20 years has taught me something and i've learned that a lot of what we do in traditional medical practice is to be blunt wrong welcome to naturally well a podcast to help you live a healthier and happier life with a nordic twist I'm your host, Kate Turner, registered dietitian, personal trainer, Nordic Naturals nutrition specialist, and owner of Live Well with Kate. Today, we're talking to Dr. Howard Schubner. Dr. Schubner is an internist and clinical professor at the Michigan State University College of Human Medicine and has authored more than 100 publications in scientific journals and three books, Unlearn Your Pain, Unlearn Your Anxiety and Depression, and Hidden from View, written with Dr. Alan Abbas. Dr. Schubner has collaborated extensively with his colleagues to develop two novel psychological treatments for chronic pain, emotional awareness and expression therapy and pain reprocessing therapy, which have been shown to be highly effective in randomized controlled trials. In this episode, Dr. Schubner teaches us that the majority of chronic pain comes from our brain and how to heal it, we have to start to heal our brain. He reiterates that it's not all in your head and that the pain is real, but it's identifying the root cause of that pain to stop the pain signals and get your body out of a state of fear. The patient success stories Dr. Schubner shares are truly remarkable and can give anyone with chronic pain hope and hopefully the answers to your pain you've been looking for. Dr. Schubner, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on and really get to pick your brain. Um, and I know we're going to talk a lot about the brain today. Um, but thank you so much for coming on the show. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. My, we'll try to keep my brain activated. <laughs> I know, right? That's, that's our goal every day. Um, right. I'd love for you, you know, we read your bio to our listeners, but I, I'd love to hear from you a little bit more about your journey and finding a passion and career in helping people heal their chronic pain and how that came about? Well, um, I think at my core, I'm a, I'm a child of the 60s and 70s, which dates me a fair amount. But that time was a very, um, it was a great time for new ideas and most importantly, challenging established ideas and challenging authority. And I've had a very conventional career. I've been a professor and teaching and doing research for many years at uh, our medical school in Detroit. And I kind of left academia about 20 years ago to a community hospital. And when I found the work of the mind-body connection, it kindled something in me that I'd been interested in since I was in college. And when I read Dr. Sarno's book, The Mind-Body Prescription, in 2002, uh, I was like, yeah, this is, this sounds important. I, I used to be really interested in that. And my studies took me in different directions. But I called Dr. Sarno up and I worked with him for a few days. I came back to my hospital and I said, you know, 
I'd like to start a clinic and seeing people with chronic pain and with mind-body conditions and see what I can learn and see if I can help people. Yeah. And I started seeing people and I started talking to them and listening to them. And I spent a lot of time talking to people and the stories that emerged were incredible, amazing stories. And every patient since then for the past 20 years has taught me something. And I've learned that a lot of what we do in traditional medical practice is, to be blunt, wrong. Uh, to be blunt can be counterproductive, can actually harm people. Uh, and the major cause of disability in the world is chronic pain and anxiety and depression and chronic fatigue. And when you take those four areas and put them together, you have the major sources of just not death. The major sources of death are cancer and heart disease and stroke and diabetes and infections and a variety of things. But the major cause of disability for the most part, I've learned over the past 20 years, are conditions that are amenable to mind-body treatments that are cheap, low-cost. Well, cheap and low-cost, you're the same. <laughs> they're relatively straightforward. They're relatively easy. Uh, people can learn them from books and, and online programs and podcasts. And this information challenges, you know, authority. And so that's my story. I love it. And I can't wait to get into some of those ways too. And I think, you know, even though like we were saying, like heart disease, diabetes, like those can be, you know, the greatest killers, but also what's the point of when you're living, if you're living in chronic pain or have depression or anxiety, that's so debilitating you're not enjoying your life, right? And that's what, you know, before we hopped on and we were talking about the goal of our podcast is not only help improve people's health, but also their happiness. It's because, you know, what is living and, right, living well, like we all would love to, if we're not happy. And that actually, I mean, studies have shown, like, that does extend your life. You know, having connection and yeah. Um, feeling a sense of purpose does extend your longevity. And I think you brought up a good point too of, I think in conventional medicine, and again, like it's not always, I would say the um, the doctor's fault because there's also like, there's a system too, but you were saying how you really take the time to listen to people. And I'm sure that takes a lot of time, right? To hear people's stories. And in conventional medicine, I mean, I, I know for most of us, if we go to the doctor, it's like you get, what, 10, 10, 15 minutes with your doctor. And they do. They have another patient after. And that's just how the system, unfortunately, has worked. Or if you're in the hospital, right, it's like a quick hello. How you doing? Let's talk about a few things. And then they have to move on. And I know some you know, doctors, too, it doesn't make them feel good. But it's like this, in a way, this medical culture we've created or the system in like more so hospitals and when you go to the doctor's office. So I think just even taking that extra time to just listen 
especially too, you know, as a doctor, like trying to figure out a diagnosis, you have to listen to the patient because there could be one little thing, right? Like one item they say that could actually open the doors into figuring out what is like their root cause and what is causing um, some of their issues. But, you know, we could go down, we could go down that rabbit hole for probably the whole podcast about the time that is spent. But I'd love, could you, Dr. Schubert, just for our listeners, define chronic pain um, and what that would feel like for some people? Well, chronic pain is debilitating. I saw a guy yesterday who has severe chronic pain in his arms and legs, and and it's so debilitating. And, you know, talk about lack of happiness. I said, you know, when you get better, I said, you know, I was joking with him. I said, you can just transfer your bank account to mine. And he said, I would do that gladly. <laughs> he said, I told my wife I would live under, I would live in a cardboard box under a tent if I could be pain free. And the point of our work is to understand pain. Chronic pain is pain that persists more than three months or six months, depending on the definition. And most people with chronic pain, and this is shocking and, you know, to, to most people and to most doctors, but the vast majority of people with chronic pain, not acute pain, but chronic pain, do not actually have a structural cause in the body to account for the pain. Now, that is really weird. How can that be? Well, all pain is real and all pain is generated by the brain. So, People can have pain that's 10 out of 10 and still not have a structural problem in the body. People who have a kidney stone, which is a structural problem causing 10 out of 10 pain, but people can also have chronic back pain or migraine headache or tension headache or accidental neuralgia or, or, you know, pelvic pain or abdominal pain. That's 10 out of 10. And we can't find a disease process in the body to cause it. How can that be? It turns out that the brain generates all pain. All pain is generated in the brain. In fact, the brain generates what we see, what we hear. We don't see with our eyes. If we saw with, if we only saw with our eyes, we couldn't dream. When you're dreaming, you see things, but your eyes are closed. And it's the same with pain. Touching a hot stove doesn't cause pain. The finger can't cause pain. But the, when you touch a hot stove, the signals, the danger signals go to the brain. And then the brain turns on pain. But sometimes people can have an injury and not have any pain. So we know that it's the brain that's generating pain. And again, this pain is real. It's not imaginary. It's not all in people's heads. It's not all because they're messed up or because they want the pain or because it's their fault. But when you take the vast majority of people with migraine, tension, headache, irritable bowel syndrome, chronic abdominal pain, chronic pelvic pain, and even we just completed a research study with people with chronic neck and back pain. And in that study, 88% of people did not have a structural problem to cause the pain. This is bizarre and crazy, but it's true. And when it's true and people can see that, then they have a path for healing. We call our model the curing model as opposed to the coping model. Anybody who's been in chronic pain and has gone to traditional pain clinics and pain approaches has been exposed to what we call the coping model, which is we don't know what's causing your pain. 
We'll help you cope with it as best we can. We'll try medications, injections, maybe surgery, counseling, acupuncture, physical therapy, put it all together. But that model doesn't make people's pain go away by it. Our model actually helps, and not in every single person, but helps people reverse their pain. And that's what people want. People don't want to cope with their pain. Nobody wants that. I've been in pain. It's horrible. And so that's what we're trying to help people and help doctors understand is the powerful role in, of the brain in generating pain and, and, and continuing pain, even when there's no disease process. Interesting. So like, even if, let's say someone um, has a sports injury from before, um, is it still the same process of you're mainly going to work on their mind to help cure them? Or is it like a combination of both? Or do you find it really is like mainly just um, working on the brain and people's mind? Well, it depends on the situation. Everyone yeah. needs a good evaluation. Everyone needs a careful attention to any injuries. When an injury occurs and the brain turns on pain, then that pain is due to the injury. So someone would get, want to get typical medical treatment, rest, ice, whatever. Some injuries require surgery, et cetera. Um, but all injuries heal. And over time, if someone had a back injury or a neck injury or a car accident or, you know, um, a strain, a sprain, those are going to heal. But sometimes, or even a fracture, all those will heal. But sometimes what happens is the pain continues past the point of the tissue healing. So for someone who's had surgery and they have tissue, they have pain in the scar of the surgery, that's not due to inflammation. That's not due to disease in the scar. Scars don't hurt. The injury is healed. That's due to the neural circuits in the brain continuing pain. So, uh, when people have an injury that's healed and the pain is continuing and the pain is spreading over time, which we commonly see, or the pain is turning on and off, or the pain is getting worse and worse, or the pain, you know, is um, moving around from one side of the back to the other side of the back, then we can tell for certain that it's not due to the injury. I saw a doctor a friend, uh, a new friend of mine is a doctor who had started getting pain in her hands with typing and then the other hand and then the arm and the other arm and the pain got worse and worse and worse. And she stopped typing and the pain kept going on. So if you're not, if you say, okay, the pain is due to typing, which is rarely the case because typing is not that strenuous. Actually, people used to type on big, heavy typewriters. Okay. They didn't have chronic pain. But now we're going like this with these little keyboards and we're in, you know, so many people have pain. It's because of the stress of their jobs, not because of the typing. But in any case, she was under a lot of stress as a doctor. She stopped typing. The pain got worse. And then it got worse and worse. And then one, a couple of years into it, she went to Hawaii on vacation for a week. The pain went away for a week. She came back. She came back to work. Pain came back. 
that is evidence. We don't, people don't pay attention to that. Doctors don't take the time to listen to that, to find that clue, as you pointed out, that little clue that said, oh my goodness, it's not the typing. She ended up having to quit her medical practice because the pain was so severe, right? And it's real pain. It's not her fault. It's not because she's weak or deficient or mentally ill. Then she went to uh, my website. She started reading about mind-body connection, reading about the pain. And she said, oh my God, that's me. And in one day, her pain was 50% less. Okay, in one day. And in three weeks, using the materials that we provide people, uh, her pain was gone in three weeks. After three years of such severe pain that she had to quit her job as a doctor. I mean, that's amazing. And she's that a doctor, amazing. Right? She should, yeah. she would, but she never was exposed to the mind body connection. She didn't know about it. All the different doctors she went to to try to fix this didn't understand it, couldn't figure it out. That's the state what of it, our medical system. Yeah, no, it is the state of our medical system. So, what did she do? I'm so curious, Dr. Schubert, with like the first day when you said her pain was gone, like 50% of her pain was gone. What what did she do just to get that 50% gone? Was it just well, the realization? Well, the brain has a danger alarm mechanism, like a smoke alarm. And it's always in us all the time. When you're driving on the road, your danger signal's right there. Just in case somebody swerves into your lane, right? When you're walking down the street, your danger signal's always there. Just in case you hear footsteps from behind or... You know, somebody throws something out the window or it's always there. Okay. And this danger signal is there to alert us to a problem. When you get an injury, the danger signal turns on pain. Why do you, you want that? You want pain when you get an injury because you need to rest and recover. When you catch a virus, this is unknown, but it's really fascinating. When you catch a virus, the virus itself can cause sore throat, runny nose cough, bronchitis, but the fatigue that you get when you catch a virus is not due to the virus. It's due to the brain because your brain is there to protect you. Your brain is sending you a message. Rest, recover. You have a virus, okay? And anything that makes the danger signal go up is going to make pain worse. Anything that makes the danger signal go down is going to make pain better. Her pain, this this woman, this doctor, was not due to a physical injury. Her pain was due to neural circuits in her brain that kept going on and on and on. And they and these neural circuits get reinforced, become most chronic pain gets worse over time because of fear of the pain, focus on the pain, frustration with the pain trying to figure it out endlessly. And people with chronic pain have gone to so many doctors, so many alternative treatments, so many things to try to help themselves as, you know, which would make sense. But that drives the danger signal more and more and more. And when you realize, oh my God, I'm not in danger. When you realize this pain is real and severe, but you know what? It's due to neural circuits in my brain. These are reverse. When you realize that and you start taking away the fear, I saw a guy yesterday, he had this hip pain, was really severe. And he thought, he knew about the mind-body connection. 
He went to the doctor. He got an x-ray of his hip. The x-ray was normal. The pain disappeared immediately because his fear went away. He was like, okay, the x-ray is normal. Now I know what this problem is. It's not a, it's not a disease of my hip. My x-ray was normal. Yeah. And I'm sure for so many people, it's like they, they identify with like their identity and the chronic pain becomes part of it. Right. It's like, they're just so it's, they're so consumed by it. And then to realize, oh, a lot of it is coming from my brain and there's no actual physical. It's just, it's almost like when you go to the therapist and you get some validation for how you're feeling. Yeah. Do you find that a lot of your patients have this physical pain from emotional trauma? And then do you, if so, do you guys end up working through that or refer them out to work with someone to, you know, address that emotional trauma and then you see the pain go away? Yeah. So what we do is the validation, as you pointed out, is critical. Because again, we're validating the pain is real. It's mm-hmm. you're not crazy. You know, yeah. it's all in your head. You're not making it up. You're not imagining it. None of that is true. And saying it's all in your head is cruel and it's incorrect. But if it's not coming from tissue damage in the body, then it's actually coming from the brain, not your head, but your brain. And that's a critical difference. These are neural circuits in the brain. You're not in control of them. But our process is to accurately assess and diagnose, make sure there's no physical injury. I've seen people who thought they had a mind-body problem with my boob. I saw one person who had actually had cancer. I've seen some people who needed hip or knee replacements, you know, so we have to make sure people get good medical evaluation. But once we do that, if we're ruling out a, a, um, physical structural problem and we're ruling in what I would call a mind body or a neural circuit problem by the, by the fact that the pain is triggered by innocuous stimuli like light, sound, uh, light movements by the weather that it comes and goes, turns on and off. All these things. I've got all these criteria. Um, sometimes people can even imagine bending. If they have pain with bending over, you have them imagine bending over and they get pain. And again, that shows that it's your brain. So there's a lot of tests that we have. So the assessment is critical. The second step is the education, understanding that the pain is real, understanding that it's the brain, understanding that the brain produces everything that we experience understanding that they can get better, giving them hope and optimism in addition to the validation. And then, and then digging into the history to look for the things that caused it. Cause people need to understand why they have this. If someone had, um, a parent who was gone all the time, they start to get anxious. They start to be fearful. Is mom coming home? Is dad coming home? They go to school and they're fearful. Will they be home when I get there? So, and maybe they get start getting stomach aches when they have to go to school, right? A common mind-body connection that children have, right? And then, and then they grow up and in their teen years, let's say they have a, a romantic partner who keeps disappearing on them, right? Never sure they're there or not. So there's this thread, right? Of not not feeling safe, not feeling secure. Are they going to be there? Are they going to call? And then maybe they start getting headaches in their teen years because of that. Then 
get married in their 20s or 30s. And then maybe their partner is gone a lot or they're on business trips or they don't know where they're at or they're not, you know, they feel they're lying to them. You know, this kind of thing can then, and maybe they get irritable bowel syndrome or pelvic pain or back pain or neck pain. So then when you put all that together, people can understand because research shows that stress and emotion activates the exact same danger signal in the brain as does a physical injury. This is amazing, right? So the brain has this danger signal that triggers, can trigger pain or anxiety, depression, fatigue, insomnia, but can trigger symptoms when there's danger. And the danger can be physical. The danger can be emotional, but it's the same danger signal, right? So the symptom is the same. It's, it's real. It's the same. It's just as severe as any other. But in the absence of injury, we can look for the stress and emotional situations for which the brain is reacting with a signal of danger, like a smoke alarm. So the mm-hmm. problem often isn't the actual pain or the anxiety. The problem is what's causing it. The brain is just the messenger. It's actually a guide. It's saying, hey, hello, there's a problem. But it doesn't speak English. It speaks in physical symptoms. And our job is to figure that out. And when people can do that, the pain or the symptom becomes a guide. It becomes a message. It becomes something maybe they need to learn Maybe they need to figure out, maybe they need to have a different partner. Maybe they need to think of themselves differently. Maybe they're putting too much pressure on themselves. Maybe they're overly self-sacrificing and never say no. Maybe they um, have a situation where they're being taken advantage of and their brain is saying, hey, time out. There's a problem here. And this is extraordinary. And it takes a into a whole different arena than I've got pain and I've got to get rid of it. It's understanding that your brain and your body are connected and your life, if you can look at your life and see what needs to take place. I saw somebody yesterday who really, he was harboring grudges against um, some of his family members. And they were, they had been just trying to help him, but he was harping these grudges. He wasn't speaking to them. That's not good for him. You know, hanging on to, hanging on to anger like that. Well, he's, he, part of his treatment, in addition to the decreasing the fear and worry and all that stuff that we do is going to be dealing, allowing that anger to come up, to come out in a safe and healthy way and to let it go. So he can reconnect to his family. And that's going to be part of his care. Yeah. Do you ever find it's difficult to get patients to open up? Well, I guess at that point, too, they're probably in so much chronic pain, they'll do anything. But just to get them to open up to find that root cause, if it is more emotional or what they're harboring. It depends on the person, you know. Yeah. Some people will... Say, look, I've got pain. What are you going to do to fix me? And, you know, we're talking about, let's talk about your life and your childhood. And they're like, what does that have to do with this? 
I don't want to deal with that. Yeah. All in the past. Okay, fine. You know, uh, you meet people where they're at and everyone's different. But, um, you know, I have a particular practice that people come to me because they've tried everything else. Yeah. And so if they're not interested in exploring this mind-body connection, they're not going to come see me. So in general. They know what the deal is with you. <laughs> they know they got to open up. And I'm curious... Is this the same? And I am, I'm actually thinking of um, a friend when I ask this, is it the same for, let's say, intermittent chronic pain? So like migraines that are at least occurring, you know, at least, at least once a month, um, but there is a little bit of a break. Does it work the same way? Yeah. I mean, pain that turns on and off, migraine is a great example of that, mm -hmm. is very typical of a mind-body problem. Yeah. Um, the, again, the pain is real. There's neural circuits. I've talked to people with my, I've talked to I, with the other, a couple months ago, I was talking to a group of people with migraine, migraine advocate group. And I was saying that obviously the headache is real. There's a lot of nerve, there's a lot of stuff going on in the brain that's triggering the pain. But it's not a disease, in my opinion. It's not a structural damage to the brain. These are neural circuits that get activated. And each person's migraine is a little bit different because they have slightly different neural circuits. Each person's migraine is triggered by different things. Some people get triggered by lack of sleep or coffee or uh, red wine or chocolate or, you know, all sorts of different things or the weather. And to me, that history tells me that it is a mind-body disorder. A lot of people, some of the people were like, yeah, that's really interesting. That makes sense. I see. And it's not, you know, red wine doesn't cause migraine. It triggers the neural circuits in their brain because their connection between the red wine and the migraine has been learned by the brain. It's a conditioned response which is reversible. We can treat people, we can teach people how to turn that off. And the simple way to do it is to have them imagine drinking red wine and see if they start to get some tingling or some aura or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then to imagine having them drink red wine with safety, with messages of calm and safety and joy and peace and happiness. And when you give your brain that connection, neurons that fire together, wire together. So when you give that brain the connection of just even imagining red wine or chocolate or whatever the trigger is or the weather, imagining that situation with calm, peace, joy, safety, happiness. Now you're training your brain that this stimulus is not dangerous. And then they can look at a glass of red wine and give, give themselves all these messages of safety, happiness, joy. And then they can maybe have a tiny, tiny sip of red wine with those same messages. Pretty soon, their brain is like, okay, I guess red wine is, is fine. And then they have broken that trigger and then they can get better. There were other people in the group of the migraine advocates who were not buying what I was saying. They were saying migraine is a disease. The only treatment is medicine. Where, you know, there's injections, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This mind-body stuff is all crap. And, you know, everybody has to do what they think is best for them. And, you know, but, uh, you know, if you look at, for example, the data on migraine, it's really fascinating. Botox 
issues for migraine, right? Well, if migraine comes from inside the brain, how is Botox going to affect migraine? Botox is giving a little injection in the muscles. I mean, it doesn't really make sense. But Botox does help migraine. So when you look at the research on migraine, uh, you know, people with very severe migraine, people are having, you know, 10, more than 10 to 15 migraine days per month, right? Some people have very severe, very chronic, very horrible uh, migraine headaches and pain. And so in the studies on Botox, people getting the Botox had like six and a half less days of migraine per month. A decrease of six days per month is fantastic. The placebo Botox group had five less migraine days per month just with the placebo. So when the placebo has just about the same effect as the actual injection, you kind of wonder, well, maybe we could help people by a good placebo. And what I'm offering people is, in a sense, a good placebo because the placebos can be a very powerful uh, intervention because the placebo is calming the brain, knowing that you're going to be okay, getting the, getting the treatment that is going to work. And that's what we're doing. We're giving people the hope and the reality of a treatment that will work for them. Yeah, oh, that's such that's so fascinating about the five versus six days too with the Botox. You gave such a great example of a strategy you use using the wine, right? Just imagining it's safe. What are some other of your top um, protocols or strategies? I know it's so different for every person's condition, um, but that you utilize that you find really helps people. And like we talked about in the beginning, that's low cost. It's not, you know, paying for medication. And um, what are some strategies you you find that you're using a lot that are really helping people? Well, uh, to go back to the model, the model is assessment, making sure there's no structural problem, education about the brain uh, and, and hope and optimism. And then the next step is what we're calling pain reprocessing therapy, PRT. And pain reprocessing therapy, we've studied it and it's in several studies now, randomized controlled trials. We did a big trial, or not a big trial, but we did a relatively small trial in people with chronic back pain in Boulder, Colorado. It was headed up by Yoni Ashar and Alan Gordon and Tor Wager and Mark Lumley and myself and Christy Weepy, all these great, great people. Um, and we had fMRI of the brain in these people as well. And we randomized people and the people who got the PRT for, for chronic back pain uh, 66% of them were pain-free in one month. I mean, these were people who had back pain for an average of more than 10 years. And so it's amazing how powerful this treatment can be. And this PRT treatment consists of a whole, a whole variety of interventions that all center on lowering fear, lowering focus, lowering frustration with the pain, lower, uh, increasing activity despite the pain knowing that you're going to be okay, messages of safety, affirmations, taking the sensations of the pain and making them less dangerous, leaning into them, seeing the pain as an opportunity as opposed to a horrible thing because it's an opportunity to change your brain. It's like riding a bike. You have to get on the bike. You might fall, but it's an opportunity to learn. It's an opportunity to move in the right direction. Um, so we have a whole variety of 
interventions in PRT that focus on lowering fear. And some people can do that very quickly, like the person, the doctor I was telling you about. I had a patient the other day, it took two years for him to get better. It took two years of doing this work to get better because he had such severe symptoms for so long. Um, and he had a, a whole variety of triggers. He was, he couldn't eat like hardly any foods. The only foods he could eat were chicken and rice for three years. Every other food was causing him severe migraines, severe itching, severe total body pain. I mean, devastating, debilitating symptoms. And he realized that he had to, he had to do this process with different foods and uncouple the conditioned responses. It took him a long time, but he did it. He's fine now. Um, that's amazing though. And I'm sure just eating chicken rice possibly could have also brought on other, right? Like nutrient deficiencies or just other, you know, it it comes with a lot of a host of all, a lot of other things, but I think the fear you're really communicating it well, just about the fear. Cause I even think about, you know, having, like we were talking about those chronic migraines where even the days you probably don't have a migraine, you have the fear of, am I going to get one later? Am I going to get one tomorrow? Um, you know, I have plans this weekend. Am I going to end up having, it's like that constant fear of just, is it going to come back? To banish fear totally, they want to do stuff, which seems hard. It's hard to say, go ahead, go ahead, brain, give me migraine. If you yeah. can do that, you're going to be free of it. A lot of people are like, no, 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 no. I don't want to say that. And it's like, well, you're living in fear. So has this, this living in fear is devastating and it feeds the symptoms. The other major thing is dealing with the stress, dealing with the stressful situation, dealing with the emotions, dealing with how we treat ourselves. A lot of people are really harsh on themselves, can't be kind to themselves blame themselves, are living under regret that they didn't do what they should be doing or never doing or never measuring up. And all those things are activating or can activate the danger signal in the brain. So this is where the, it's not just changing the neural circuits in the brain, but it's helping people heal their life change their life in ways that are going to make them happier, healthier, stronger, less fearful, less worried, less, you know, less being toxic to themselves. And so, so that, that becomes, that can be a very big issue and and everyone's different about what they need in their lives, but uh, that can have a huge impact on their pain or anxiety, depression, insomnia, fatigue as well. Yeah. I mean, just being able to tell someone, I can not only get rid of your chronic pain, or we're going to try to, right? Which is going to make you feel so much better in general. But I'm also going to teach you strategies about, you know, releasing fear and just things that are going to make you happier in general. So it's like, this combination and you know going back to what we were saying in the beginning of our podcast was you know like what's the point of also living if you're not 
feeling good every day, both mentally and physically. And that's what you're achieving. And it's, it's so fascinating and so needed. And I, I wish more doctors are practicing. And that's why I did love, I heard you, Dr. Schumer, saying that you are all, you're also educating other doctors, um, which is so important to make sure either that they're looking for these signs or they can at least refer people to you and um, just help heal people. Because, you know, I fortunately do not have chronic pain, but I, I know some, you know, close friends that do, and I, I really can't imagine it. Yeah. We also have um, research studies, randomized controlled research trials showing that the emotional processing work and the, the work we do, Mark Lumley and I have developed this uh, therapy called Emotional Expression and Awareness Therapy, EAET. And we've written about this. We've published randomized controlled trials about this. Uh, we've worked with one of my uh, colleagues and mentors, Alan Abbas, who was one of the major proponents of a therapy called Intensive Short-Term Dynamic Psychotherapy. And these therapies really focus on and express a feeling, recognizing an expression and release of emotions like anger and guilt and sadness and things that people hold on to, can hold on to for a long time. And we can help people go back in their lives and deal with some of the traumatic experiences that, that they had by a process we call memory reconsolidate, not we call, but is called memory reconsolidation, where people can actually begin to change some of the traumatic memories that have occurred. You can't change what happened in your life, obviously. But how you think about it. Yeah. And how you actually remember it. And it's a weird thing to think about, but it's very powerful to help people take a trip <laughs> back in time yeah. to meet their younger self and help their younger self deal with the situations that couldn't be changed then, but in their in a fantasy can be changed now. And it's it seems very weird, but it's not new agey or no, so many people yeah, yeah go through like an EMR or ART and it's they can say like even just which I am a huge proponent of therapy. Um I go to therapy once a week myself and but sometimes with people with more trauma, just doing talk therapy isn't enough because you still are having those memories. Right. And finding someone that really can rewrite those stories a little bit for you and just not have those memories pop up each day, which then can bring on, right? Like we're talking about chronic pain, um, right? Like the physical or mental pain each time um, research is showing. It's just, it's doing wonders for people. So um, that's great that just have the combination. There's another therapy that we use, internal family systems. You know, started by Richard Schwartz, Dick Schwartz, a colleague and friend of mine. Excellent, another excellent therapy that can help people rewire neurocircuits in their brain in relation to prior traumatic events. So when you put all that together, you know, assessing people, making sure there's not a structural problem, educating them about the power of the brain, validating their symptoms and helping them realize that there's hope and then doing the pain reprocessing, rewiring the neural circuits, doing the emotional awareness and expression, 
helping people deal with the stress and emotions and trauma. And then finally, helping people make whatever necessary changes in their life. Maybe they need to set boundaries with somebody. Maybe they need to build a fence next to their house as a neighbor. Maybe they need to move. Maybe they need to change jobs. Maybe they need a different relationship. Maybe they need to reconcile with uh, somebody that they had, um, you know, been estranged. Maybe they need to uh, build a better relationship. Yesterday was Valentine's Day and I sent out a thing to a bunch of people on my email list and I saw this quote, love is a two-way street, always under construction. And I just thought that was beautiful because this work in essence, and Alan Abbas taught me this, is really about love. It's about compassion for people, as we talked about listening to people, hearing their stories, validating them. It's about them having compassion for themselves so they can stand up for what they need in their life, so they can make changes in their life that are necessary for them. And it's about um, people connecting to others and being loving and kind and, you know, letting go of old hurts, letting go of old uh, animosities, letting go of grudges and learning to, uh, you know, relearning to connect to the important people in their lives. And some people you can't reconnect to and you have to let go of and jettison. That's fine, too. That can be standing up. Learned that one in therapy. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay to cut people out. And honestly, it's so funny. Like we were talking before, but like just that validation um, can be so powerful. And I mean, everything you're saying, Dr. Schubert, you're saying you're also saying it so well. And um, that it does. It comes back, you know, to self-love, you know, first and foremost. And having compassion for others which you're doing and the work you're doing is so powerful and honestly like i i thank you for it um and i'm sure so many of our listeners either are okay kate get to the good part of like how can we work with him if they are experiencing (laughs) some pain um but it is much much needed work yeah it's very important and like you said we're teaching we're doing we have lots of different courses training programs for not only for physicians, but not only for physicians and nurses and physician assistants, but also for physical therapists and occupational therapists and manual medicine, medicine people, for massage therapists, for chiropractors. We have courses that are uh, for social workers, psychologists, counselors, courses for life coaches, courses for anybody who's working with folks who can learn these simple understanding, these simple techniques. Most of the time, it's not that difficult. And most people, and many people don't need heavy emotional processing work or trauma work. Like the woman I was telling you before, where she got better in a few weeks. With, you know, she wasn't, she wasn't doing major emotional processing work. She was just changing the neural circuits in her brain. So we, we do a lot of teaching. And there's a couple of websites that I'll leave you with that where there's uh, lists of practitioners who practice this style, this approach of mind-body therapy. Uh, there's a Psychophysiologic Disorders Association. There's the TMS Wiki. And um, people can find others who do this kind of work. And there's a ton of books of 
that are, that I've written some of them and some of my colleagues have written. I'll give you all those resources. There's a ton of online resources where people have, on, have developed online programs for people. And some of the programs are just with, you know, with like kind of online with information and coaching online and some are with actual real coaches and some are with actual real therapists. So there's a whole variety of ways to engage in this work and um, start the road to recovery. And if, if someone, Dr. Schumer, wanted to work with you, do you only see patients in person or do you also see some virtually? Or how does that work? Because I know your assessment is so in-depth. Yeah, personally, I, um, I've been working for 20 years at a hospital in the Detroit area. And a couple months ago, they um, were having a lot of major budget crises and cutbacks. And they said, you know, Dr. Schubert, we don't need your services anymore. We're not going to renew your contract. And I was like, okay, well, I've spent, you know, a long time. Uh, and I was very grateful to them. The hospital has been great to me for 20 years. They put up with me. I never made any money because <laughs> it's, it's not easy to make money spending time and talking to people. Not mm-hmm. like big surgery or injections. The insurance insurance doesn't reimburse talking as well as they do procedures. But anyway, so I ended up leaving that, leaving the hospital. And um, I got back pain after they told me that I was leaving, which was an interesting mm-hmm. um, body connection that I had to deal with myself. Um, I'm better now. Um, but I had to deal with a lot of the emotions that I felt, the hurt that I felt, the anger that I felt. Um, you know, I had to, I had to allow myself to express those, um, mainly when I was in my car yelling and screaming and et cetera. <laughs> but I got it all out of my system. My back pain went away. I, I, uh, and now I'm doing a, I have a new practice with a friend of mine, John Strax out of Chicago. It's called Cormendi Health. And uh, I'm seeing patients only virtually, so I'm seeing people from anywhere in the world. Um, Unfortunately, as, you know, stated, uh, the insurance reimbursement at all is is not working. And I can't see people virtually through insurance. So it's a cash practice, which is unfortunate and is, you know, relatively expensive. On the other hand, people are spending tons of money. Yep, going to every single specialist and yep. yep, it all it all adds up. I've seen people spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars on vitamins and supplements that mm-hmm. haven't worked. I've seen people spend thousands and thousands of dollars on manual therapies, on acupuncture, on energy therapies, on all sorts of things. And if it works, great. I'm happy, you know. Great. But well, and like we were saying, I think most people are willing if you're re- if you're experiencing terrible chronic pain and you have been for years, are willing to take that extra step. But that is great to know that you are seeing you know clients virtually and patients virtually, um, which just opens so many doors. I'm sure for anyone listening, um, and just right. that and you can, just anyone can have that. access to you as well. Right, and it's not just me. There's lots of other people who do this yeah. work. As I mentioned, you can find them in the list. You can post on your uh, website. Perfect. That would be great. Well, I know we have to wrap up, Dr. Schumer, but we have, we love to end every episode with a very quick three question rapid fire Q&A. So the first thing that comes to your mind, and this is all about you, 
What mm. is your favorite de-stressing practice or support tool? Golf. Oh, I love that. Coffee or tea? Coffee. How do you take it? A uh, little milk. Okay. What is your favorite home-cooked meal? Um, I have a, uh, we have a recipe that we use that we really like. It's a chicken and rice dish from the chef Otto Lenghi. And Otto Lenghi is an amazing chef. His recipes are kind of involved, but it takes a long time to make, but it's a great recipe. It's got like tons of different spices in it. It's his pot dish. Really. Oh, that sounds delicious. I mean, anything that that is, it's like that same that home cooking feels so good. Yeah. Well, Dr. Schumer, thank you so much for your time. This has been, you know, I'm sure invaluable information for most of our listeners, but also just fascinating in the research and looking at pain in a different way and healing pain. And like I said before, I really thank you for the work that you're doing and you're doing what we all want to do as practitioners is heal people and have them fe you know, feel good each day and live fulfilled and, and happy lives pain-free. Yeah. Well, it's, um, as I said at the beginning, I had a little bit of rebel in me and I, I like challenging orthodoxies and, um, the way things are done. And this is an idea that's not particularly common, not particularly well-known that the brain causes most chronic pain and that it's reversible as opposed to just having to cope with it. That's an idea that's not well-known in medicine. It's not taught, um, but it's an idea whose time is coming, who and is, is helping a lot of people and will help a lot of people uh, as it becomes more and more widespread. So I thank you for having me on and helping to uh, spread these ideas. Well, thank you so much. And hopefully we will get to connect again soon. And if not, I will be sending some people your way. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Kate. <laughs>